0: all right well good morning officially everyone nothing like restarting the connection to get things fixed so uh, they reconnected us and all all was well so let's check in with our remote sites Um, do we have folks i think we do they're in kalispell can you all just check in and give us a mic check make sure you all are doing okay Hello Kalispell, can you hear me now? Evidently not. <laughs> Kal- Hello Kalispell, does anyone know the name of one of those folks at Kalispell?
1: Alan?
0: Hi Alan, can you hear us? I think they are muted in Kalispell. <laughs> so uh, would someone tweet in our Twitter feed, um, Please unmute your or please unmute your your volume. <laughs> obviously well not obviously, but we were all talking and we weren't starting, so there was a good reason for them to mute initially. Um, let's try this. <laughs> Okay, or not Mike. Let's check in with Billings. Billings, are you all there? Can you hear us? Let's ask this another way. If there's anyone connected to us, can you? Oh, hey, Helena. Hello. What's for breakfast? It looks like we have some donuts this morning. (laughs) very good alright we're glad you all are glad you all are with us we apologize for our we were that's right we we had technical problems imagine that so I think they are resolved now though Um, Poplar are you with us this morning she was a while ago I think Poplar was the kitchen we were seeing earlier (laughs) So, Poplar, are you there? We are here. Okay, very good. Poplar is here. Uh, Billings is evidently not here today. Kalispell is, however. Kalispell, are you all able to hear us now? Yeah, we hear you. All right, very good. Welcome. And St. Louis, are you there, Karen? Not yet? Okay. Well, remote sites, we may want to um, just go ahead and have you mute mute your local audio while we are uh, doing our call. But as we did yesterday, we'll try to find some ways to pull you all in and and have this be interactive today. So if you haven't already... um, if you want to get onto twitter and put in some of the things that you've brainstormed in our initial five minutes here or ten minutes we were brainstorming how professional development is done now and we'll start here in missoula with some people sharing and then i'm going to call out to each of our remote sites so you all can appoint who's going to uh, speak at your remote sites what are some of the it, it, language is important and do we ever say how do you get professional development do we ever say how is professional development done how is it done to you? How is it done to teachers? When I tweeted the question, I said, what are ways educators in your school professionally develop now? Right? Who what's that? English teachers? What am I what are we changing here when we say is professional development done to you? What are ways educators professionally develop? What are we changing there? We're changing the verb, and who's doing the action, and who is being acted upon, right? The, are you the direct object of the professional development, or are you the instigator of that? So, um, folks here in Missoula, what are some of the ways you all are doing professional development now?
1: Well,
0: I mean besides this moment. <laughs> yes. Okay.
2: Okay. Um, We have an MBI team that we have at our school that's an MBI initiative. Teachers volunteer for training as well
0: as administrators select teams to implement new rules. Teachers train teachers. We receive it through early release training. Okay, that's what I was going to ask as far as your schedule. So are early release trainings monthly or quarterly, or how do you do it as a. Okay, great. And what does that look like time-wise for the schedule? When it's an early release day, when do the kids leave, and how much time is for professional development? And then professional development from 1-10. Okay, so about two and a half hours. Wow, that's great. How many of you do that? Is anybody else doing that with an early release time? Okay. Yes. Oh, you all do that too. Same schedule. We have we have one district in Oklahoma I know of that does something like that. They had to get special permission um, on Wednesdays to have an early release for students, and then I think they have about two hours for teachers. Uh, they're the they've been doing a one-to-one for for a while. Um, other ways. Who has the five days, and that's the main way you do it. It's okay, you can admit it. Most of our schools in Oklahoma. Is anybody doing that? Um, how many professional development days do you all do? Seven days. Um, a sto- uh, let me. Go, let's go out to Callispell. Callispell, how how are you all doing professional development, or how is someone who's there doing it? You're li- no. We can hear you. We hear your mic. Okay.
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: we have a weekly early release on Wednesdays. It's about an hour to hour 15, hour 20 minutes by the time everybody gets there.
0: All right. So that's ongoing. And uh, who sets the schedule and determines what, what's discussed and how is it presented?
2: Uh, the schedule's been agreed upon just through district collaboration with teachers community to figure out what would work for both of us. And then the schedule is determined by uh, building and district committees of teachers, administrators who talk about the needs and schedule uh, short-range and long-range plans for different uh, initiatives in the district.
0: All right. Very good. Helena, somebody there want to share a little bit about what you all are doing with professional development?
1: We do a calendar of uh, events are available to everyone. It's developed by our executive committee with input from our staff. We do a tech camp every summer for educators who must also bring a student with them. We do learning academies, which are the equivalent of two days required for all educators with five of you Fewer years with the district, so one of those academy options um, traditionally has been technology-based. A lot of focus
4: on Moodle. Others? That's so have your building built. Um, The professional development that we do at the high school level. Um, I actually my job is to go around and work with teachers, so I, I collaborate with them on uh, exercises and uh, help them. Create lesson plans that they can work on. Uh, I'll teach their class if, if they are not comfortable with the technology. Um, and we also um, we rely very heavily on our district professional development, which is really a well-developed program.
2: Um, we've also at my school we've done like a 10-minute little tips and tricks at the end of like at the end of school um, and just maybe go over like a couple tricks on Smart Board. We're actually going to take some of one of our staff meetings for like an hour and just go over the smartboard or what the staff wants to focus on. So it's
0: staff. Der-
5: we have a new we have a new initiative that we are slowly rolling out where we are uh, using video to make short tutorials on um, uh, how to do just real specific things uh, in different. Program so they teachers have access to it right away, versus waiting for a uh, uh, a professional development opportunity they can get to it on their time.
0: How do you all share that video? Where, do, where does that get published and, and shared?
5: Right now, right now we're using Google as our main way to disseminate information across the district, um, and so there, we've also talked about starting or forming a district-wide wiki. Um, but right now, Moodle's been really are watching
0: those. Okay, good. Let's go out to Poplar. Poplar, what are uh, some of the things you all are doing for professional development?
1: Well, on the technology end, we have uh, Newslate grant and PCTI, which have helped us out a bunch. We have the tech mentor come uh, once a month, mm-hmm. and she works with the core team and the PCI coaches all day, um, and then... That evening, from four to six, she, she, along with a couple of the core team teachers, do a four to six evening land academy, learning at night. Mm. Um, how
0: does how does that go over? Is that is that popular, or are there some resistance in, to that, or?
1: We have a. Um, About 90 teachers, we get an average of about 20. Okay. Um, It's not always the same one, but I think that's pretty good. And we give them food, which helps them.
0: Absolutely. Food is an essential part of professional development.
1: (laughs) That's what I think. Um, Then every other month, the district has given us the early out. We have an early out once a month. And every other month, we get two hours with the entire staff. And that's while the Tech Venture is here. And during that time, The core team members, the PCTI coaches, and our tech mentor, that's 10 in total, um, meet with small groups. It's all busted up, and they have different sessions, and they rotate through them, learning all sorts of Web 2.0 tools. And and her strategy this year is mostly the Marzano strategies Mm. and finding ways to use technology to implement them.
0: On the Marzano note, have you seen uh, Stephanie Sandifer's wiki about uh, Marzano for Web 2.0? Have you seen that?
1: I haven't, but I'll bet my tech mentor has, and I will.
0: Okay, so I'm going to Google right now, Sandifer Web 2.0 Wiki Marzano. Stephanie Sandifer is an educator in... Houston. Her website is web2thatworks.com. So this is a wiki that she built for the book she wrote called Wikified Schools. And she took all of Marzano's strategies uh, for classroom instruction that works and then mapped those to web 2.0 tools. So identifying similarities and differences, summarizing and note-taking, non-linguistic representation. What are ways that uh, we can use Web 2.0 tools to do those things. And so she's got tools, VoiceThread, um, Skype, iGoogle, NetVibes, there's all kinds of things. But uh, anyway, that's a great resource. And uh, let me just say, I'm really impressed. There's a, we have a lot of Oklahoma schools that can definitely take a lot of notes from what you all are doing in Montana because what's we have mainly rural schools. We have over 520 districts. Most of those have under 200 kids. We have two large metro areas, Tulsa and Oklahoma City, surrounding which we have urban schools, uh, or um, I guess, you know, suburb schools, um, but population-wise we're very rural and <clears throat> This last year, you know, Martin Luther King holidays is a big professional development day, and so a common conversation that I'll have is, "Somebody, can you come? You know, help us do some professional development on Martin Luther King Day?" And, you know, with some folks, I'll, "No, I'm sorry, I'm already committed." And then one one person said, "Well, that's a bummer because that's the last chance we have for professional development this year." <laughs> I just thought, "That's terrible." But you know, the models that you all are talking about—ongoing, very creative, learning at night, um, having early release time you know kudos to you all and and one of the things i want to challenge you with this morning is to think about the ways that you're not only leveraging the expertise within your community within your classrooms within your building within your district but also the ways that you're using media to bring in outside expertise and we're going to talk about the uh, k-12 online conference today and specifically uh, ways that you can use video for professional development and we're going to actually use the pre-conference keynote of, the, of last year's K-12 online conference as a way to um, have a professional development experience today with the back channel and, and kind of see how that works for us. So on our page for uh, handouts, for links, the, the same one that we've been using all workshop, we have a lot of videos, and let me ask you to uh, take uh, 60 seconds, we'll give you a minute, to talk with your table mates, or others who are with you, and uh, put at least one thing into our back channel, so you appoint who the tweeter is, what do you think the best practices are for using video for learning Face to face, or synchronously, I guess we're some we're, we're video. But when I'm when we're using video, and that could be in professional development or in the classroom, what are some of the best practices that we need to keep in mind for using video? Okay, you have 60 seconds. Talk about that, and then tweet at least once.
2: Um, is there a way that we could capture some of those great ideas that we just heard? Because we're building mm-hmm. our calendars right
0: now. Mm-hmm. Each district builds their own okay. calendar. Right. And so um, those are, this is being recorded and they're gonna share the recording with us. You're talking about what they said. Yeah, yeah. And I've got the audio, and okay. I'm gonna publish the audio too. Okay. So we'll have right. video and audio. Uh, because those were some good suggestions. <laughs>
1: So I'm going to quote
2: uh, g man Oh, good. Tell me I'm going to see j to <laughs>
0: Tell point. me i <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Okay, we're going to do our same round robin. Um, We'll start here in uh, Missoula, and then we'll go uh, Kalispell, Helena, Poplar uh, to share one of the things. So somebody here want to share something that was said at your table? What's the best practice for video in the classroom?
1: Yeah, um, the J man to be quoted, and he says. <laughs> <laughs> the J Man says. He says, says, <laughs>
2: says uh, keep it short,
6: otherwise, let them stay home and enjoy it in their slippers.
0: Okay, keep it short. Don't show the 60 minute long video, uh, cut it up into pieces, chunk it. Okay? Somebody else here in Missoula? Video um, for
2: your or personal critique,
0: Absolutely. Create video locally and use that to analyze what we're doing. Yesterday I mentioned the, the talk with media uh, com site. There's a wiki that I started with Carol Jordan, who's a high school science teacher in Shanghai, and that link and if somebody wants to tweet this, is just talkwithmedia.wikispaces.com. We brainstormed um, categories of student storytelling projects from audio podcasts to narrated slideshows, visual essays, tutorials, concept teaching, thinking out loud. We have a transformative category, which is the stuff that's like take action. But you know, there's different ways we can use video, and we can't. And when it's local. Oftentimes, it's more impactful. So you're talking about you know, videotaping what we're doing. A question was just asked, could we capture those great ideas that were just shared about professional development? And the answer is yes, this is being recorded, this conference session. Uh, VisionNet is going to share those links out uh, with Nancy, who I'm sure will forward them on. And I'm audio recording this as well. We typically don't like to see ourselves on video. Is there anybody here who did it? Has done anything with uh, media in terms of like news media or journalism? Uh, media outside of school? You've you've done? Anybody have a background like that? If you have, maybe you love to hear yourself. <laughs> uh, who was that guy? That the guy just got discovered on YouTube uh, with the golden voice, and he was homeless uh, in California. Do you remember that? Yeah, I Somebody find that. And put that in the back channel. That's because that's quite a story, right? He has an amazing voice. And didn't the NCAA flip or? Uh, NFL or somebody Cleveland Cavaliers. Cleveland Cavaliers are contracted with them now okay all right let's not forget our remote site so Kalispell what was something you all said was a best practice for um, using video in the classroom
2: <laughs>
0: we're having a Geico ad running here we're distracted
2: <laughs>
0: somebody at would there want to share one of your ideas? And if you'd like to say pass, you can do that. That'll that'll be acceptable. Can you hear me? We can hear you.
3: Okay, we have a fourth grade teacher in our school that does podcasting,
1: and she creates a podcast before the math tests so that students and parents can access it from home to review. Um, what, the, what the kids need to know for the upcoming test.
0: Okay. And what does she do in terms of length? You, have, you, have you listened to those? You Do not how long those are or short they are and how they're set up?
3: A whole,
1: they're pretty short. She does a whole series of them, so, and she entitles them with the topics so that the kids that, that know what topic don't have to go into depth like that. They can just go into the areas where they
0: feel they need review. Ah, so sort of like chapter marks. They can just go right to the information they want. As they need it.
3: Exactly.
0: A lot more useful than having this long sixty-minute study guide recording and not being able to, to go specifically. So, Helena, an idea about using video in the classroom as a best practice?
1: We have our high school. Or, our high schools totally converted their newspaper to uh-huh. digital. Under Jason Nyker's leadership. Uh, they continue to expand that. Now they're using iPads. Is that
0: Capitol Hill?
1: <laughs> That's Cap- that Capitol Hill. Yeah, yeah. Capitol Hill. Um, lots of podcasting, even by little ones. Lots, in several schools with um, internal broadcast systems where they're recording and broadcasting the news every
5: day. Uh, We have a middle school orchestra teacher who, um, during the semester, does uh, three different videos with each of his students, um, and these are uh, students just learning to play the violin or whatever, and does one at the start of the semester, middle of the semester, and end of the semester to show their growth over time.
0: Wow. That, uh, there are two colleges I know of that are not just doing one-to-one, but they're doing two-to-one, where everyone has a, a, a laptop and a smartphone, um, Abilene Christian University in Abilene, Texas, and then Oklahoma Christian University, which is like three blocks from my house, five blocks from my house. Their um, music and, uh, professor is doing similar things with GarageBand, where he's having students do a performance and sing their part and be able to submit that um, that's being privately shared you know between the instructor um, f- pretty rare that I've seen for those of those kinds of examples but when we cross over it you know into the arts performance that kind of thing um, that's pretty exciting if you uh, are any of those publicly shared any of the violin uh, videos and things that that
5: not currently, no. It's all it's all housed behind our Moodle. Um, we've talked about archiving. We actually need to come up with a solution because he's uh, I think he's filled about half of the uh, Moodle storage space with those videos. So we have to come up with another solution to share them out.
0: Well, and if you if there are links that you all can share to any of these examples that you all are talking about, please put those into the uh, back channel. Um, Poplar, idea about media and... Videos specifically in the classroom, best practice?
4: Uh, I do make them. It's usually to keep them short, to introduce a topic, um, serve some interest, start a discussion. We uh, use podcasts you ETA. We also have a green screen that we built the studio for. Cool. And for other classes, we will uh, do stuff maybe on a civil war battle or a president. And they're usually a minute, two minutes long, just to get some brief information about them for uh, like a fifth grade class or a sixth grade class, just to start them up on the topic and maybe get them interested in what they're going to be working on in class.
0: I love how so and the older kids. Go ahead. The older kids like doing that.
4: It's usually my freshman classes doing it or high school kids that we do the video stuff with, and they like to uh, you know see themselves on camera and all that. But they find it interesting that the other kids get to watch them do it. And then when they get older, they have they are wanting to video, too.
0: Have you had pushback from any students that have felt it was, I mean, they'd rather just take the test? I mean, do the study guide or do a more traditional assessment? Have you had that happen?
4: I have. Some that, you know, I had them one year and getting them, in, they would rather do that and they've, Second year round, if they've done something, with them, I've had them twice, they will get in front of the camera more, just to comfort, you know, being comfortable with it. They have some that aren't. The more they are exposed to it, the more they want to do it. Good. So it's just a matter of exposing them to it enough. And usually those ones actually I put in charge of like production instead. They'll be in charge of everything else with the video equipment, so I, I can watch everything they do have to learn something besides just sitting there and writing on a paper or something like that or
0: by the way am i looking at the right camera i can't see what my local video is are you all are you seeing this camera or this one am i look is this right uh, here. Yeah. Right
4: okay.
0: Good. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, kudos to everyone who's shifting this to where it's not just about showing video, it's not just about streaming professional video. It's about students becoming the creators. And um, tell me your name, sir, and Poplar. Uh, Nate Reinhardt. Nate. Nate is. Yes. It's, uh, it sounds like Nate. You are building a culture that is very supportive of media sharing and also celebratory of student media sharing, and that culture can be built over time, particularly as we amplify examples and the bar gets raised and kids see the work of others, and, you know, that gets built over time. So one thing that was mentioned, I think, uh, I'm not, uh, was it in Kalispell you guys were talking about uh, Moodle and, and publishing? Or is that Helena? What school is doing the the violin stuff and the uh, instructors? Where where, where is that in Helena? Helena. In Helena Public Schools, or what what district is that?
5: Yeah, Helena
0: Public Schools, yeah. Okay. So just to mention, I put up open web, closed web. Um, Take 60 seconds. Talk at your table. What does that mean, and why is that an important conversation related to media? Okay, you have 60 seconds. Talk about open web, closed web at your table. (laughs)
1: I'm that's I just to talk to you
7: it's on a floor, or like that and then the
1: other thing
2: you the
0: Okay, do we have a, a volunteer here in Missoula, do we have a volunteer who will define open web, give us an example, then we'll do the same thing for closed web, what's open web, what's that?
7: All,
0: I mean, access for, you know, whatever you need in closed web, or anything like that. Okay. 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 Open web is public, and you can get to it. And you all mentioned an example. What was the example of videos you all were just talking about?
2: Oh, we were just
0: talking about Khan Academy. Khan Academy, right? Khan Academy, example of open web publishing. Published to YouTube, linked on a website, no password required. Okay? In theory, we
2: love that. In practice, we can't do it because we don't have bandwidth.
0: To publish to YouTube. Okay, so an issue that's raised is bandwidth. Um, we need to have smart net. We need to have more bandwidth in our schools. Probably, we need to have smart networks. We need to be able to um, ratchet the amount of video. Uh, bandwidth that's being allocated, right? What you don't want is a dumb network, which means a network that doesn't let you manage it, in which one individual can start downloading massive quantities of content and suck all the bandwidth that you know, nobody can do it. Right. So you need a smart network, and you need to talk with folks who can help your network be smarter. That's in- in OSEO. right. Well, E-rate, of course, um, is uh, an option for this. And get
1: there.
0: Yeah. right. Yeah. I mean, if if you want to do this stuff and you are passionate about it, there are ways t- to find things. And that's why we're here, right? Because the best way we can get those resources and ideas is to find out other people who are doing it. Um, E-rate still, and I think they were going to pilot something doesn't purchase the end devices, the laptops, the phones, you know, the, the stuff that we touch. But in the closet where we have our equipment, like our server racks and our, and our routers and those kinds of things, um, those things are e in Category 2, and it's possible to get substantial discounts for that kind of thing. you got to apply for it. You have these different rules and, and all that. And so you have, have very high poverty typical, too. Right, to get the substantial discounts and to get that stuff to come down. <laughs> hey, and, by the way, I haven't – there's two things I've uh, – well, let's do closed web, and then I'll, I'll teach you the failure bow and talk about yabbits. Um, closed web, somebody wanted to find that uh, in uh, Helena? We'll let a remote site do that. What's the closed web, an example of the closed web? Boodle, uh,
5: for example. Okay. Um, we don't allow guests. We don't allow guest access or anything else in. Right now, it's just a closed system for students and teachers within our school district.
0: Okay. Password required. Although you can permit access, it's going to require that somebody has a login to get to it, and Moodle is an example. Now, I'm a big fan of Moodle. I'm a big fan of learning management systems. Just like we said yesterday, when you're building a house, you start with a foundation. You don't you know, begin with a sidewall, and a learning management system is really a basic thing that that teachers need, it's it's going to be reliable, it's going to be supported, there's going to be people that can help with that. But in this discussion about curriculum and video and media, it is important, I believe, to recognize the value of the open web and I think we could even say the moral obligation that we have as educators to share things. And that's where we're going to get with Dean Shiresky with what he's going to talk about with the K-12, uh, his K-12 online presentation. Another term I want to mention is open educational resources. I've got to change my text box size so this fits on here. But um, open OER or open educational resources are things like um, MIT courseware, right? All or a lot of the MIT um, videos of professors talking about all kinds of things openly available. Stanford, um, Apple has their iTunes. Most universities are not just publishing in iTunes because not everyone's going to run iTunes, um, even though Apple would like everyone to. Uh, so there's different ways of publishing things openly to promote access. When we use video in the classroom, you all have already made a major point that I hope to make today, which is that we need to chunk it and we need to um, not just play media that other people have created, we need to make it ourselves. And we're modeling that in this workshop today, and you're going to have an hour today to work with your partner uh, or a new partner if you want to switch, you want to upgrade or whatever, your partner. Uh, We'll leave that up to you. (laughs) When we use media, we also, it's a good idea, to give some framing questions to students in advance and to let students know what's coming, you know, what kind of an assignment is, is coming from this video to talk about focus. We had some discussion about that yesterday. So I'm going to show you another video from Yarmouth, Maine. This is from December 2010, and there's one called culture of collaboration Basically, this is the one i want to show called ubiquitous technology use this is linked along with all of our videos um, on our our handout that we're using for this workshop and this you're going to hear from the the high school principal at yarmouth high school and um, he's gonna uh, he's gonna make some points about professional development and about leadership focus when it comes to technology use. So what do you hear the principal at Yarmouth telling us as educational leaders about our focus and about how technology fits into learning? This is a, I don't know if I'll do this whole clip. This is a five-minute clip. Oh, that, that's a cool point. It's not about the
4: coolest thing. The coolest part about it is that it's used can't say, well, using that Google document like, wow, that's blowing us away. It's just that students and teachers, you know, they're just using it all the time for all kinds of things. And I think what, what is also happening is constantly um, people wanting to, to take it to the next level. So, for example, one teacher last year um, did a little presentation about summer reading, and she used uh, that online presentation book called Prezi. Um, well, Instantly, a bunch of teachers were captivated. They saw that she used
5: it. Oh, that's interesting. Get online is pretty easy for it to use Suddenly, it was available, and, and you know, kids and teachers started using it. It was really wasn't that we did a workshop on Tresi and said everybody must now learn Tresi much more um,
4: organic. And I think one of the things that we've noticed too is that some of the teachers that maybe initially were a little bit reluctant about using computers are now really using them quite a bit. And I think um, what we learned was Really, just had to pay attention to. Some people were ready to be out there; they were ready to take the big dive. And other people had to get their feet wet in the water. But the people that were getting their feet wet are now swimming in the deep end of the pool, and they're doing fine. For the most part, there's a couple of people that are still in the cage, but we're. We're there.
0: what have you done all right i 'm going to pause it there yeah, loud. Um, that was not obviously a professionally done video that was shot on my iPhone with permission. that was when we had this group from Sweden that was there touring um, and uh, had permission to be able to share those things so um, go ahead and take. Um, Let's give you a minute and a half. Talk with folks at your table about what you heard as the messages for leaders about technology and how it fits into learning, and have at least one person at your table tweet. I'm going to raise the bar, okay? You're not only going to tweet what you all heard, but on our page, all right, the video is right here. It's called It's Not About Cool, It's About Ubiquitous Use. So I want your tweeter to copy the link to the video, and then I want you to post that into Twitter. Why? Because when people see that video and they see one of the things you gleaned from it, they can immediately click the link and see the whole five-minute video. Okay. So I want you to have at least one person do that. Talk about that video and then tweet your take, uh, a takeaway, and the link. Go. Okay. Oh, that works better than the rotating one. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's that's the if it's really not for them and us. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I really ratcheted that yeah, a lot. Yeah, that's not on touching that it. It's this one. But it's but this will show, right? No, no, they're two
1: different. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I just learned that last week. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> To Shaun, give If can find a way to make See somebody the
2: I know then they will have themselves. Yes.
0: Yes. Take, take 30 more seconds. <laughs> so,
7: Kathleen and I, um, with our little video yesterday, we came up with a question and we found some um, education students and we asked them, what is your hope for integrating technology into the curriculum? I think we asked six people and four of them said, we don't want to use technology because we have found that it doesn't work all the time, mm. and we don't have the time. We've seen that it we don't have
0: Would you this, share this for, uh, out yeah, loud? Would you would share you. that? Well,
7: okay. and then I went upstairs to this morning before we were kind late. Well, they required one computer class and it's a computer applications class. Mm. and That's it's not. Right. I mean, our teachers
1: being trained.
0: Right. Okay, here, let's let's talk. All right, very good discussions. And I've asked um, Christy. Come on up, Christy. You don't have to, no. But when we have aha moments in professional development, that's a really big deal. They don't happen often. And they don't always happen in a room where we're logging in with our initials to have professional development. But when we have them, I think they're pretty valuable to share. So what's your, what was your aha moment? Uh, what did you all do yesterday? And-
7: well, um, Kathleen and I yesterday with our, our video, our project that we were working on, the question that we thought we'd come up with was um, you know, asking some of the education students that we kind of found in the building. What was their hope for um, integrating or using technology in their classroom their first year? And I think we came, up, we came across six people. And four of those six said, I don't want to use technology. I think it's overused. And some of them said, well, you know, we found that what we've used with, with the teachers that, that we have kind of worked with, it doesn't work all the time. And we don't have time to work through it. So I just don't even want to deal with it. So I went home last night and that kind of left me unsettled because I'm a technology teacher. I teach the teachers how to integrate the technology. And so um, I went upstairs and I asked. He said, what is, "What is the course requirement for our teachers that are being trained?" And they have one computer class that they are required, and it's a computer apps class. So, you know, at what point are we training our teachers and expecting them? You know, you get a new teacher and you have all of this technology, or expect them to use all of this technology in your building, and. They have, you know, so.
2: Can I add to
0: that? Please do. Thank
2: um, you. My aha moment, I'm a principal and a curriculum coordinator. So my aha moment was that um, we're expecting new teachers and also veteran teachers to do this, but let's look at new teachers. They have to figure out classroom management, they have to figure out content delivery, they have to figure out how to how to work in a system, even where to get the paper and use the copy machine and all that stuff. Unless those people are very confident in their own skills with technology, the integration of technology as a new teacher is the last thing on the priority list. And throw them into a system where, first of all, they're not trained at the university how to use it, obviously. Um, The classes that we saw in the hallway yesterday, the teachers were modeling, and I'm sure there's other classes where they model differently, but the one that we saw yesterday afternoon, the teacher was in the front of the class. The kids were sitting in the desks, you know, in the curriculum and instruction class. So they're not seeing it modeled. Then we're throwing them into the deep end after (coughs) eight weeks of student teaching and saying, okay, now integrate technology and not even a lot of times not even giving them a mentor. So the reason I you know, you can totally see why it just dissipates and doesn't happen. And then once they get their practice going two, three years down the road, now they're not, you know, they're they're kind of setting their ways, they're starting to get set in their ways. They're not going to
0: the entrenched system of doing school the way we've done it is is very hard to change. And I believe that ongoing, sustained professional development, like many of you have described this morning, is the best way to think about changing in a supportive culture. It's naive to think that taking one class. And I'm I, I feel that uh, that criticism because at you know in, in schools I, I've I've now taught in three places that the required technology for teachers' class, and you know. We tend to look at that and say that 's where the kids are going to learn their technology, but it, it, we have to have ways to talk about the tools and to learn the tools, and I think it's appropriate to have classes like that, but at the same time it can 't remain isolated in there right. because what you know we learn what we do and what do we see people do and when we go into classrooms and you know things aren 't being integrated. But
2: the other point too that Christy had. Um, when your technology didn't work this morning, you had an IT person standing right next to you. Oh, absolutely. And we don't have that in schools at all. Right. And so, what you know, if a teacher isn't sure... Did you, you see, notice
0: who came up with a solution and what it was? Yes. Yeah. Well, Restart the system. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. But a, man, a
2: teacher who isn't confident in their skills, the first time sure. they try something, right. it doesn't work and it's frustrating and you've got 30 kids hanging from the chandeliers for a half an hour, they're not going to ever do it again.
0: Perfect segue to what I want, and I was motivated to share this, Then I'll get... Do you want to jump in right now? Yeah. Okay, go for it. I'll...
4: Um, I'm coming to the education field, from another field, and so the things we're talking about, the problems we're talking about, are only problems here, because when you're out there, you solve the problems. You, know, you learn what you have to do to overcome whatever the problem is, and you implement it. And so in education... There will never be enough money. There will never be enough time. they will never have all the skills. That's the, that's the reality. Anyway, so as a pool of teachers, we have to learn how to find the solution to the problem with what we have. And it will never, ever be enough. So.
0: And we have to work together. And the good yeah. news is, just like we're seeing with Twitter, and this is just one way, we now have more resources than we've ever had before. When I run into a problem, I can now ask people in my learning community for help, and they help me. Uh, I'm not limited to just the, you know, the brains in the room. But this gets back to the idea of media, and I'm going to teach you the failure bow. There's some, a great piece of research that was done um, at the University of North Texas about... Intel Teach to the Future training, and teachers, who's done, who's done that? Who, who went through the Intel Teach to the Future? Anybody here done that training? Come on, raise your hand. It's okay. Don't be embarrassed. It's okay. Um, Intel gives away curriculum. They still have it. A lot of it's really good about project-based learning. It's pretty Microsoft Office-focused, but it is... Um, I'm trying to think of her name, uh, and it's not coming to me, so I'll, I'll uh, come up with it. But she she wanted to study the teachers who persist in using the technology and trying even after they encounter difficulty. Because the, the theory, and I think it's a good one, is a lot of teachers will do exactly what you said, which is it doesn't work here just like it did in the class, so I don't persist. So I'm going to teach you something called the failure bow. Uh, in 2005, I had a chance to go to Apple Distinguished Educator Institute or camp. They used to call it Apple Camp san jose california um we got to meet some pretty amazing people uh and one of the amazing folk, pers- one of the amazing people we talked to um works with pixar animation and their animators and uh this is one of the activities they talk about now pixar what's your favorite pixar film have you seen Up, you know, Monsters, Inc.? I mean, just this goes on and on, right? It's so, so creative, and they have such a great way of making humor that, you know, connects with adults as well as, as young people. Um, we have got to solve problems, be creative, and not be stopped by failure. And so the failure bow... Uh, goes like this. I'd like you to put your hands up at your video conference sites, okay? make make your neighbor do this too. Put your hands up like this. I see one person in Helen doing it. Come on folks. <laughs> I want you to go woohoo. All right, put your hands down. That's what you do after you fail. Now it is not because you are loving failing. It is because of a couple things. Number one, We recognize that we learn from failure. Number two, we recognize that we're going to learn from that failure and move on and do better next time and not be defined by our failure. How many of our students in class have shared something and it was the wrong answer or they got up to do something and (gasps) it was wrong, and my gosh, that's the last time they raised their hand in class, the last time they shared We need to, I believe, um, have a personal, I don't know whether style is the right word or just a philosophy. We we need to model the idea that, you know what, I screw up sometimes. I try not to screw up big time. You know, sometimes I do. Um, In fact, I had a post I put up a, a week or so ago about... Is it okay to make your kids famous? Like when you post things and you share videos and things like that, I mean, there's a lot of things I could screw up on, but I don't want to screw up as a dad. Like that would be screwing up as a husband and a dad would be like the worst thing. But you know what? I do. Sometimes I do. And then I try to do better. So the failure vow is something to keep in mind. And then the other thing that Marco Torres taught me was called um, about the yabbits. Have you heard of the yabbits? Yeah, but we don't have enough money. Yeah, but I don't have a full-time tech person. Yeah, but I don't have that time. You know, we, there are lots of reasons why we discount, why we don't do this. And look at the curve I've got on the screen, right? This is the early adapter innovator group. It's a small group. How long is it going to take for all of our schools to have devices for students and for teachers to be comfortable publishing, you know, content on the web and um, for schools to let kids have flexibility and be able to take an online class for that requirement if they want? It's going to take a while. But leadership, I firmly believe, is the key. And if your leaders and if you as a leader have vision and passion, to bring about change in small ways and big ways, you know, that makes the difference. So, let me just show you a small example and then we're going to look at Dean Chareski's um video. My 10-year-old and I have been doing a 365 photo project. Anybody here doing a 365 project? You simply take a picture every day and you share it. And there are folks all over the um All over the world doing these um, different videos of different things Um, one of the precious things that happened and this was just like fortuitous we uh, um, we sadly lost our 15 year old golden retriever over the holiday in fact it was on New Year's Eve and that was the first time we had lost uh, a pet and it was um, it was interesting as we were just looking back at pictures. I didn't even realize that she had done this, and I'm going backward here. But Sarah had taken a picture of Bailey, and she had posted it just a couple days before we had to put her to sleep. And um, I'm not finding it here. I don't think that was her. I think that was Jake. Um anyway that um well, where it went but the idea of talking with media and sharing media we've got to start somewhere and one of the, the things that we talked about yesterday was the idea of I'm having tab overload here anybody else have this um, <laughs> can you feel the pain um, yeah, I think I. These are the integration stages. I think I opened it in a, in a new window. We would, Karen and I would contend, awareness level is number one. OK, got to become aware of it and we need to use it personally to get to these high levels of integration. We're probably not going to get there if we don't start with the basics. So little quick demo, and I want you to think about how this could fit into the classroom. A photo-a-day project, okay? We have some guidelines and some rules for what we share, but if you have, a, have any kind of smartphone and you can take photographs... I think this is probably the easiest way to post media today. So here's a photograph I took yesterday right after our workshop with a photo called HDR Pro. Um, HDR is a really cool technology that takes a, um, a, low, a, a low exposure, high exposure, and it combines the images. So I took that picture and I'd like to share it. There are now free websites like Tumblr and Pastress that have free applications for Android and and. Uh, iOS or iPhone, and so I can simply go to my my Tumblr app. I can say choose an existing photo, and I can find the picture that I'd like to share. The photo will display there on the side, and I usually give mine a nice two or three word description. Um, So I think I'm going to call this Big Sky Country. Isn't that that's Montana, right? (laughs) All right, I see why now. Um, In addition, you can set up your Tumblr site to cross-post immediately to Twitter, and then it can also be set up to go to Facebook if you would want. So I'm going to use the tag 365photos, and I'm going to put also a tag called iPhoneography, because there's different folks that are just taking pictures with iPhones and doing some pretty cool work with that. And so I could also put, what, for this week? MT Vision, right? And then this is going to show up right into our stream. I'm going to show you in a minute a school in Iowa that's using a hashtag. And just about everything their teachers share suddenly gets aggregated just like our conference has so that they can all follow it and see it. So I've put that information in, I go to advanced options, and I just say send to Twitter, let people answer, post. And there it goes. The most difficult part of that was actually typing the hashtags, okay? <laughs> All right, so it's done. So now, a couple things. If we go to my Twitter account, and this can be linked to whatever Twitter account that you want to connect it to, we're going to see a link saying photo, big sky country, and there are the tags, So that would be one way people could intersect with this. If you go to the search for MT Vision, there it is. There's the link showing up right there. And just like I had you put the YouTube link for the comment or the takeaway you had for that video, because I put the link in there, now people can see it. And here's the photo. And we need to be careful when we use the word easy in a technology workshop okay <laughs> easy to you may not be easy to me however I like to now think about steps how many steps does it take the Flickr group that Karen and I talked about yesterday it, it takes a, a, quite a few steps like maybe 10 steps to get a five photo story in there but those how many of you posted to our posterous and did the five photo activity yesterday how many of you did that okay How many steps would you estimate that was? Depends how you count it, right? Let's say after taking the pictures. (laughs) Okay? After taking the pictures, you plugged your camera into the computer, you went to your email, you compose a new message, attached the images, put a title and click send. I mean maybe six. Okay? So you can still break it down to a lot of steps. But Compared to what it used to take to be able to share photos, that's a real big deal. Using a free application like Tumblr to be able and post photos and being able to do it quick, I think that's a big deal. Why? Because it can be transformative. Then we'll do it, right? I would love it if all of our kids could create videos like Marco Torres kids can. And they could if they would put in the time and have the support and and all to do that. I think this kind of a project is doable in every single classroom. Could you have guidelines for taking pictures at, at school? Yes. Should you have those already? Yes. We talked about that yesterday. Would parents be interested if we had a photo of the day and just a little short paragraph about what we were learning? That could be a shot from this lab that we did. Maybe it doesn't have a long description. Maybe it has a two- or three-word description. But visually, I think that has a lot of power, and it can begin to move us in a couple important directions. Number one, it can get us to this personal use level with technology. We're not going to get to invented professional use if we don't get beyond awareness and get to personal use, okay? So consider that, maybe for yourself, doing a photo project, or maybe for your classroom, under the guidelines that your school has for photos, sharing them. Jason? I have a nerdy question. The back channel has been buzzing away. Um, can, you, <laughs> uh, can you have a quick nerdy side note and teach us the magic of, of throwing your iPhone screen share on, did you jailbreak your iPhone, or
2: what makes <laughs> that happen? <gasps>
0: Well, a quick answer to that is that if you search my blog for Sherman, a guest blogger named Sherman Nicodemus has put up several posts on my blog in the last few months, I guess, since spring break. And there happens to be a post from March, uh, March 10th actually, called How to Use Your iPad and iPhone Touch with an External Display Projector. And Sherman describes how it is possible to... Um, use some software that's available to do that and, and now you have an, an easy tool for the nerd and the super nerd because the super nerd just went oh and then it flipped it up so that's, that's okay it's alright but there's the links and everything like that we'll talk later um, hopefully at some point and it is not true today you cannot take your iPhone out of the box and do this you cannot take your iPad out of the box and do this I think the number one thing Apple could do to help teachers is to have video out for every single application that you have, because today you have to have someone jailbreak your device, or you have to do it. And the FCC said it's legal this summer, by the way, uh, which was nice for them to clarify that. Uh, when I buy a shovel at Home Depot, they don't say, you can't plant any tomatoes with that, you know. Um, thankfully, that doesn't happen. So that is a little nice, little geeky sidebar there. Um, okay. Okay. So, what I want to encourage us, uh, actually, I, before we do this, Karen is on the line, and she has joined us. And Karen, before we were interrupted at the end of the day yesterday, I think you had a point that you wanted to make, and I would like to give you the floor. Well, yes, I
1: just kind of got cut off.
3: <laughs> there you were, and there you were. Um, one thing I did want to mention was we were working with video. I have judged for the past, I think, six years now, digital stories for the METC conference that's held here in St. Louis. And, you know, we started out the first year with some millions of, basically, middle school was
0: the worst, but very... Now, come on. Uh, millions? Are, are, is there any exaggeration here? Millions of entries?
3: Yeah. <laughs> millions, it seemed like. It took us hours and hours. But we had lots of videos that were, um... They were, they were attempts by students to to make something worthwhile, but when you watch one after the other, um, they were just not Academy Award nominees. Let's just, I'm trying to be really delicate and nice. And part of the reason for this was because the teachers themselves really didn't have any good guidelines. So we regrouped and, and really provided some good rubrics and guidelines for the teachers to help them guide their students in creating movies. Because a lot of when you're shooting a digital story should end up on the cutting room floor. It really should. You should have a lot more video than you end up looking for a two-minute movie. What we have noticed in the last five years is not only have the movies improved because the teachers who are involved are more adept at helping the students and guiding the students with the tools, but also the tools themselves, things like flip cameras we noticed this year. So many of the movies are made now with these types of devices. And one thing I would say if you're going to make uh, digital stories or use flip cameras or any cameras with your students is invest in a couple of tripods. Um, it sounds crazy, but when you start using, even when I use my flip camera, I always, want, you know, find out after what I'm doing and my hand is shaking, um, and, you know, that could be my age and the amount of coffee I drink sometimes, but, um, students, you know, could benefit from having a little tripod to take with them when they set up their shots, uh, and you can tell the difference, and, and again, it's not all about, there's a lot more to it you know What did you learn from the project and what is the, the purpose of the project and what does your storyboard say? And how how did, how is your message being conveyed, but it also Sometimes can be about well that would have been a great video But we couldn't really tell what was going on because the camera was moving around so much um, so, But I will say that these, these devices, these cameras, putting these in the hands of students, the creativity that comes from this and the messages. And if anybody's interested in seeing some of them every year, we, we do choose winners. Um, that's part of the contest. Uh, but it's a well-crafted project, just like some of the other projects Wesley's shown you. This digital storytelling project is, uh, is open to anyone. Um, it's open to anyone, even though it is show-me-a-movie because we are the show-me-state in Missouri. Um, anyone could, could participate, um, but I just, you know, yesterday as we were working and I was looking at these videos, I, I'm amazed at how the video technology, even with an iPhone video, has come just so far in the last five years. So that was one point, point. and then I want to make one other point really quick once, if I can. About you, can. you can. Well, we were talking earlier, and we were talking at it for a while, about the uh, free service teachers, I've worked with a lot of universities over the years, and I actually had a very prestigious university here in St. Louis have professors meet with us to tell us that they did not want wireless in their classrooms, they did not want laptops in their classrooms, and basically students pay, pay $50,000 a year to bask in the glory of them. I kid you not, I'm paraphrasing, but that was the message. And so colleges of education, I think, are really trying to make strides in helping pre-service teachers be prepared to teach in technology-integrated environments. However, your content classes, your history classes, your science classes, your math classes are still being taught by people who are there as tenured professionals who are there for their research and to continue to do that? And so, unfortunately, I think what, what's happening, we are seeing I've, in the first for the first time pushes that are happening from the K-12 up, whereas much of education theory and what's gone on in the past kind of came from the universities and was pushed down to the K-12. It's happening the other direction and. We have a really uh, uh, kind of a strange thing that's happening with, with with many colleges that even though colleges of education are doing the best they can for pre-service teachers, it's those other courses where they're not seeing that modeling and where they're not involved with using technology in the classroom. Um, I know when I walk through the halls of many of these universities when we've been there visiting, it is that standard sit and get lecture style that professors are not willing to change, and until we start seeing leadership at that level saying, you must integrate, you must have your coursework online, you must do some of these things, that's not going to change. So, just, just that piece. And I think, Wes, you've experienced some of that with your own experience teaching at the
0: university. Absolutely. And you know what? We all can do, this, do the best we can. We have a different sphere. We have different folks that are within our influence, you know, from my classroom, for the students that I'm with. Um, hopefully we're always continuing to learn, right? That's number one. Somebody who says, nope, I'm not learning, you know, I'm done. <laughs> I'm doing this and, you know, I'm sticking with it. Th- that's really the impasse. But if you have someone who's willing to uh, to keep learning, I mentioned to Diane yesterday as we were in, the, I don't know, If there's research on this, but have you observed in your school where someone that's over here or was here in the laggard group, but suddenly for some reason gets excited about using technology and seeing the kids use it, suddenly that person starts becoming an influencer to help other people, many times it's student engagement. It's seeing how much time those kids spent, you know, creating that video project that was being shared. There's different reasons, but I don't know what the word, we need a word for that, okay? But that person has a powerful influence within your school culture, and it's kind of limited, you know? If it's the J-man who says it, we're like, yeah, well, that's the J-man, okay? (laughs) But if it's, you know, I don't know, whatever name you want to have, if it's, if it's, uh, Miss Luddite, OK, Mrs. Luddite, <laughs> who has never checked her email before, but suddenly realizes that, you know, there's, there's something to this technology use and that her students, particularly who might not have flowered with the traditional assignment, have bloomed in ways that she never had seen them bloom before. That is real, real powerful. So um, we are going to take a break. Um, but I have also um, asked Cass to share uh, just briefly how some of this has intersected with some of the instructional coaching um, research and, and things like that. Would you be willing to share just a, a brief bit about that? Uh, and then we're going to go on break and we'll take a look at our video. But you're, you you got to – we'll have you come up so that you're – <laughs> tell everyone who you are.
6: I mean, they all probably know you, but... They don't all know me, oh. but a lot of them do. <laughs> I'm Cass Rocco, and I work for um, Western Montana um, CSPD, and I also work for the Office of Public Instruction and the RTI Project. Um, but I was lucky enough about four years ago, ago to start working with Jim Knight and um, Kansas University in the Center on Research and Learning. And at that time, we had Jim come to Missoula and Kalispell, and he did <coughs> instructional coaching uh, training. For a large, I, I, there's probably, what, a couple dozen, or at least a dozen of you in this room who participated in that training. And what instructional coaching is is on-site professional development. And what we know is that that is the most, there's lots of research to support, it is the most effective use of professional development you can possibly have. Um, 98, there's 98% carryover when coaches work side-by-side with teachers when they need that help instead of the stand-and-deliver model for which there is about 2% carryover. So in this light, what we're discussing right now, there is nothing better than having, if you don't have on-site professional coaches, um, to have uh, instructional coaches, to have anyone who's trained um, in technology working with teachers, and there's a model for how you do that, and you can get Jim's book, Instructional Coaching. You can go to instructionalcoach.org, and most of the stuff that they've come up with, all of his presentations um, are online. You can get his book. There's a book he has out now called Unmistakable Impact that talks a lot about um, the value of having teachers Video themselves. And then there's a form in there for how they go back through and check and see. Because I, I think, and we talked last night a lot about this, technology is great, but it's a strategy. <laughs> and having that strategy integrated with a lot of other good strategies will get you there. But using it, <coughs> at, thinking of it as something separate, is not going to endear teachers to having that one more thing to do. So I think teaching it and supporting it via coaching model, a peer coaching model, um, at just an ongoing intensive learning team direction, something that would give continuous support to accomplish one goal instead of having a lot of ideas. that you're. If, if technology is what you want to do, then focus on how you can support those people on an ongoing basis in getting that done. And instructional coaching is one model. So if you have any questions about that, I'd be happy to show you where the site is and give you some information. One of the things I should mention, too, is that
2: one of the Title II Part D grants in the state that is operating right now, that's the federal funds, is a pure coaching for technology integration model. And we've been working with Les, Dr. Les Bolthos, um, here in Washington. and are, how many people in this room are part of that training? Okay, so they're getting they're getting training on that, and specifically on how to use the peer coaching model to go into the classroom and work with teachers on instructional you know, in integrating the technology. So, if any of you have any ideas or shares, please tweet them or whatever to let us know.
0: Great. All right. Thank you, Thank you very much. Uh-huh. Hand for cast. Yay, Cass. Okay. Because we all need to move forward and we all need to grow. And Jeff Allen, who is in Seattle, uh, one of my aha moments was a Skype call. We had it internationally with uh, Darren Kerpatois in uh, Canada. And we had Ewan McIntosh in Scotland. And we had Miguel Gulin down in San Antonio. And I was at home in Kansas at my parents' house. And Jeff Allen from Seattle's there, okay? So if you don't remember like something real vividly that often, but he said, technology is an amplifier. Say that together with me. Ready? Go. Technology, technology is an amplifier. You got problems with classroom management now? How's that going to be when you get laptops in that room? Right? This goes to your point. There's so much for teachers to deal with. And if you, and you throw technology in the mix, if you don't have a good handle on your curriculum, on... You know, classroom management on so many different things. Technology is going to be disruptive, and it is going to be a problem, not a solution. So, um, I want to mention—I mentioned uh, that I was going to t- tell you about a school that is, is linking to all this. In your uh, links for your handouts today, um, we talk about prof- uh, building professional learning communities, and we want to do that. Um, I have a link somewhere to Van Meter School. <clears throat> And somebody can find it and tell me where it is, or I could search. Here's a little teachable moment. I could do a search on my page. How do I do that? If you're on a Windows machine, control F, command F on a Mac, and then search for the text. And it was right in the morning. I didn't mention it yesterday. But we've got um, our back channel where you can follow. Um, Last night I spent a little bit of time going through the back channel and adding as many people as I could to the Montana education list that I started on Twitter. So I have 53 of us, in, and I'm not on the list obviously, Uh, I made the list, Um, but if there's folks that are here and people we need to add, you can tweet those to me, put at WFryer and I will add them. Here's what's beautiful about a Twitter list, does anybody know what's beautiful about a Twitter list? Um, you can follow that list, so you can follow the list as it gets updated. And um, we're about to hear from Dean Shiresky, uh, and Dean is a technology. He's a teacher in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, in Canada. Um, he was the ISTI Technology Leader of the Year last year, recognized. Um, here are some lists that Dean has. Uh, he's, by the way, doing, he's been doing a um, 365 photo project for several years. We did a little Skype uh, webcast on uh, the seedlings a, a couple weeks ago talking about it. But when you have a list like this, you can follow the list, and then you can follow the other people that are on that. So Van Meter School is a school in Iowa. The superintendent of Van Meter School is John Carver. They are a one-to-one school, and they are one of the most innovative rural schools that I have yet to encounter. I had an opportunity to meet several of their leaders at the Iowa One-to-One Conference last April, including uh, their amazing media specialist and librarian. I've got links to John Carver, to Darren Durflinger, who is the principal um, uh, at their high school. We can look at that and see. I want to mention that in addition to Twitter lists, look at what people disclose about themselves. I want to encourage you, you don't have to, but encourage you at some point to put some information about yourself that you want to share professionally here in your Twitter uh, profile, because this is how people... Does make decisions about whether to follow you or not and, and what you're doing. And then you have a link because they can get more information. You may not have a blog now, and everybody doesn't have to set up a blog, but you may have a classroom website, a classroom portal. So I wanted to point that out because we didn't mention it yesterday. And then the last thing about Van Meter is to show their hashtag. So their hashtag is just pound sign Van Meter. But if you want to see a ton of great resources coming out of, uh, of, a, of a school, You know, take a look at the, at the Van Meter hashtag. Shannon Miller is the librarian, the media specialist there, and is just a fantastic sharer, which is going to be our theme after our break. And you can follow Shannon, um, let other people know about her, let your librarians know about her, and get connected. The last thing to tell you is the um, EduBlogs group that's based out of Australia, it's James Farmer's group, has an annual EduBlog Award, And I mentioned this to Diane, too. I don't think that anyone is going to beat Richard Byrne, who has free technology for teachers. Who subscribes to free tech for teachers? Okay. Yeah, this is one of the best blogs. It's just free tech for teachers, number four, um, dot com. And if somebody can tweet that and put that in the back channel, um, you know, I think he's won the last two or three years. But in addition to awards for different kinds of blogs, they have blogs for tweets. And all the nominees for 2010 in the category of best individual tweeter are available in this list. So as you look beyond our Montana group and are looking for different people that you might want to follow, you can go to resources like this. Tom Barrett from Nottingham, England is on this list. Yesterday I think Tom tweeted to Rob and said what's up with this MT Vision? What's this event? Right? But you're, you're able to see who these people are following and as they reply or they retweet people, you're able to follow them and so Twitter can grow if you want into this wonderful resource. Um, it's part of your professional learning community. So we are. Leslie? Um, yes.
3: Right now, Richard Burns, if you go look through January, he has amazing lists of 11 tools for this or 10, 11 tools for that, uh, math tools, science tools. That's one of the best things about his blog is, like you said, short and sweet, but the whole month of January has some just awesome tools that people are you know, able to just quickly click the link and explore. And also, somebody asked yesterday about Facebook and Twitter. Um, I would say that half of my responses from my tweets come from my Facebook. So there are ways to connect your Twitter to your Facebook. And I did tweet that yesterday, but there are a lot of different ways to do it. If you just Google it, you can find that. But you can have it so that if you tweet and you are using Facebook, your tweets will go on your wall on Facebook and your Facebook friends We'll see those also. So
0: I get a lot of responses
3: from Facebook that don't, that aren't people who tweet.
0: And, so and you'll follow- also confuse people. And my wife has threatened for weeks to unfollow me on Facebook. Um, so, you know, because <laughs> they're like, what are all these at things? You know, All right. Well, when we come back from our break, and we're going to just take a 10-minute break because we were a little bit late starting, and we're going to give you plenty of work time. We're going to talk about the K-12 online conference. We're going to have a guest speaker who's going to come in here. His name is Dean Chiresky. He's from Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan. He was the pre-conference keynote speaker for the conference. And I hope that in the coming months and years, we're going to – this is an all-volunteer effort that started in 2006. Basically, folks got around and said, hmm, we can put video on the web for free Hmm. we got innovative teachers around the world Hmm. why don't we have a free conference and ask people to do short presentations about different topics so over in the right sidebar of the conference you can go back to the archive from 2006 by click on 2010 here are all the presentations Except for keynotes, these are all 20 minutes long or less, and some of the keynote speakers have limited themselves to 20 minutes as well. Dean's keynote is called Sharing the Moral Imperative, and we are going to use this as a professional development example. There's over 140, I should get the exact number, but there's, we've we've had 40 41 presentations per year, and in 2009, we had more than 10 in each strand. There's four strands to the conference. So there are um, well over 140 presentations here that are available. And so we're going to take a 10-minute break, but then we're going to come back and, and model how you and your school can utilize content like this for professional development and I want to challenge you to think about giving teachers credit for self-directed professional development, because if a teacher is going to take time to listen to something like this and maybe write a reflection about it, that could potentially be far more impactful than simply warming a seat for 45 minutes or, you know, six hours or whatever um, at a traditional sit-and-get professional development. So let's take 10 minutes, and we'll be back with Dean
6: she and I are the topic in a pretty fashion